Thank you so much for joining us here at Grace Church's podcast. The following episode was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found online at grace417.com. We hope this teaching makes a difference in your life. Uh, welcome to Grace. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, we are, we've been in a series in the book of Ruth. Uh, this is our third week. In fact, if you want to turn um, in your Bibles or if you want to go on our app, Grace417, uh, we'll, we'll have it there for you. Um, but if you want to go to your Bibles, we're going to be in the, uh, the book of Ruth. And um, <clears throat> this is our third week, week one. Uh, we talked about chapter one, and then uh, week two we talked about chapter two. And today we're going to uh, look at chapters three and four um, in the book of Ruth. And, and it's an amazing, amazing story. In fact, I would encourage you uh, sometime this week just to sit down and just read all four chapters at one time if you haven't done it yet uh, as we've been going through this series. Um, it's, it's, it starts um, with a famine. It starts with a famine. Uh, it was a, in uh, the land of which is now Israel, uh, a, a time of great famine, a very difficult time. It was a time that the book of Judges says it was a time where everybody was doing what seemed right in their own eyes. They were just um, living life as they saw fit, and it wasn't a godly culture. It wasn't a godly time. Uh, but yet we have these bright, this bright spot in the middle of this story um, of, of, the, of the people of God um, with the, uh, t- two ladies, the, the, the main players in our story, uh, Naomi and Ruth, and then this man named Boaz, who was introduced into the story last week. So what happens is there's a, a husband and wife and their two sons who leave um, what would now the nation of Israel, and they, they go to Moab, which is the other side of the, of the Dead Sea. There's a great famine um, in the land, and so they go looking for resource, looking for food, looking for a better economy. Uh, so they relocate. Uh, while they're there, Naomi's husband dies. Uh, they, her boys marry Moabite ladies. Her sons end up dying. So now it's Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. And after about ten years, uh, the economy turned around back in her home country. Uh, back where the people of, of Israel, the Jewish people were. And so she's going to return back to the land of her family. She tells her daughter, her daughter-in-laws, go back to your people. Well, one of the daughter-in-laws does that. The other one, Ruth, was like, no, I'm going with you. Where you go, I go. Your people are my people. Your God is my God, and I'm going to be with you. And we've just been watching this story unfold of the great faithfulness that Ruth had to Naomi and that Naomi has to Ruth and just the honor that they had in their relationship and the faithfulness. It's such a great example to all of us. So they go back to Naomi's homeland and Ruth is a, a she's a foreigner. She's an immigrant into this um, culture, into this setting. It's not normal for her. Uh, the, the language is different. The people are different. The customs are different. And, um, and one of the things that Naomi has instructed her to do, and, and she's been doing this, she's been going out into a field and, and gleaning, taking, um, in those days, the way they would harvest is they would leave the corners uh, for those that were destitute, for those that were without. And here we had these widow ladies, and, and, they, and uh, Ruth was going and was collecting um, the grain, the barley, uh, was going cre- collecting around the edges, and they ended up in a man's field named Boaz, who actually was a relative. It's a term we call a kinsman's redeemer or a covenant redeemer. We'll talk about um, in just a moment uh, this morning. <clears throat> but they ended up being at this, in this field, and, and, and it's a man named Boaz, and he's an honorable man. He's a good man. Uh, he was really living much differently than the rest of the culture was um, in that day. He was very God-honoring and God-fearing. And as he was 
uh, he, he saw who they were. He saw the way that Ruth had honored her mother-in-law. And so he told the guys, his, his, the guys that worked for him, to watch out for her, you know, protect her, keep an eye on her, uh, leave some extra grain for her. And, uh, and uh, she really caught his eye, and he respected her, and he honored her. And so that's where we come now in uh, the book of Ruth, chapter 3. And so one of the things I'm going to do this morning is, is I'm just going to begin to read. I'm actually reading um, out of the, the message. It's a paraphrase a translation. And so it's more uh, concept for concept than word for word, but it's because this is a narrative story, it works well. So if you're in a Bible app and you can pick different translations, uh, pick, um, pick the message. And so we'll pick up in chapter 3, and it says, One day her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to Ruth, My dear daughter, isn't it about time I arrange a good home for you so you can have a happy life. And this happy life there means a secure life, that, uh, some stability, that, uh, a future, you know, a, a real home. Not just a roof over your head, but, but a true home. She's like, it's time. We need, we need to do this. And then Naomi says, and isn't Boaz our, our close relative, the one uh, with whose young men you've been working? Maybe it's time to make our move. Tonight is a night of Boaz's barley harvest at the threshing floor. So she tells her, she says, take a bath, put on your Chanel number five, and get all dressed up and go to the threshing floor. Now, this this phrase right here of take a bath, put on some perfume, get dressed up, that is the same process that we see later of David goes through after he um, mourns the loss of the death of his son. And so what this seems to be indicating is that the time of mourning, of losing their husbands, uh, the time of this difficulty, this famine, that that season, there, were, there was a transition coming in. And if you've ever had great loss, if you've, you, know, you, you, you know that there is a, there's a season of, of just true mourning. And in fact, um, when we were pastoring in West Plains, um, we were called about coming to uh, pastor this church. And it was the same week that Heather's grandpa uh, had passed away, who we were there serving with. He had been the pastor of the church that I was then the pastor of. And uh, we just are very close to him. And, and when they called, I actually, this is, I just felt like the Lord gave me wisdom. I just said, you know what? We need 30 days <clears throat> to mourn. We just need 30 days just to mourn. And, and I, you know, in our culture, we don't mourn well, do we? We don't really know how to mourn. But we, we did. We took 30 days and we just mourned. We just, we just didn't really, we didn't make any big decisions. We, we, just, we just mourned for 30 days. And on day 31, we were actually... Uh, we were called about, well, what, what, do, what do you guys think about coming here to Pastor Grace? And, and my answer was, yeah, I haven't thought about it. Um, we've been in 30 days of mourning. Now I'll start praying about it. Now I'll start thinking about it. And, uh, and so we took three or four days and a week and, and prayed about it and felt like this is what God wanted for us. And that was, that was actually, next month that'll be 13 years uh, that we've been here as the lead pastor. And, uh, but, but I just... There's these seasons in our life, and they were in a season of mourning, but they sensed that God was taking them out of this season. There was a newness of what God was doing. And was like, you know, it's about time that, that it doesn't mean they didn't still miss their husbands. It didn't mean all that. It means there was just, it was time for them to, to enter into the next season. And so that's what, that was what this was. Not only did she actually do these things, that's also there was some symbolism um, built into this as well. And so they get up dress up and go to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until the party is well underway. He's had plenty of food and drink. And when you see him slip off to sleep, watch where he lies down and then go there. 
Lie at his feet and let him know that you're available to him for marriage. Then wait and see what he does, and he'll tell you what to do. Now, as we look at this story, as we read this story, um, we, we look from our culture of, of what some of these customs are, and it could look like it's really sexually charged, but it's not. And the culture in this day, what's actually happening is this is, this is not sexually charged. Um, it's just, you know, if it was, a, if it was a, in, a, in a barn today, and there was a guy that had been eating and drinking, and he's laying there sleeping in a barn, and a lady comes and lays next to him like, you know, it's not quite a Hallmark movie. It's just kind of maybe a, a an R-rated Hallmark movie, but but you know it would uh, you know just it, it, so so we try to have to we kind of have to step out of our cultural experience and look at this cultural experience. And he was much older than her, and so he probably thought she didn't really want anything to do with him, and he was honoring her, and so he would have he probably wouldn't have ever really approached her about this, and so uh, she's letting him know that she's actually available. For marriage is, is, is what's happening. So, verse 5, Ruth said, if you say so, I'll do it just as you've told me. She's trusting Naomi because this is out of her culture. This is out of what she would normally be comfortable doing. She, she doesn't understand all this, but she trusts Naomi. She knows Naomi has her best interest in mind. So, Boaz had a good time eating and drinking his fill. Uh, they had the harvest barley, they, or the, the the barley harvest, and they were, they were celebrating that, and after the hard days, of, hard days of work for the harvest, he felt great. Then he went off to get some sleep, lying down at the end of a stack of barley. Ruth quietly followed. She laid down to signal her availability for marriage. That was a, it was a, a symbol in the custom of that day. And so in the, in the middle of the night, the man was suddenly startled and sat up because uh, Naomi had instructed to pull back the blanket a little bit to expose his feet, and you know, middle of the night, the wind blows, he wakes up, doesn't he? So, um, so that's what happened. Middle of the night, he suddenly startled and sat up and surprised. And this woman's asleep at his feet. You know, maybe there's something here. I mean, I just, this isn't in my note. I just made the connection. You know, Adam woke up and there was Eve. Boaz woke up and there's Ruth. I don't know if you're single out there. Maybe you just need to take more naps, right? Maybe you just wake up and then there, that person will just be there, you know? I don't know. Maybe. So he wakes up, there she is, and he says, and who are you? It's probably dark, you probably couldn't really, who is this? She said, I am Ruth, your maiden. Take me under your protecting wings. And this was the same language where, where um, Boaz, we talked about last week, he had instructed to Ruth that, that, that you know, you're, you're actually, you're coming here under the wings of God himself. And so, but she's saying, she's saying, take me under your protective wing. You're my close relative. You're my kinsman redeemer you're my covenant redeemer in the circle of covenant redeemers you do have the right to marry me and i think here of the imagery of psalm 91 which talks about the protective covering of the lord over us of his of his wings overshadowing us and and protecting us and she's letting him know that that she's available for marriage and that and that she's she's interested and he said god bless you my dear daughter, which was a very, just a term of endearment, a very much a term of honor. What a splendid expression of love. And when you could have had your pick of any of the other men around you, and here he speaks to her honor and her integrity. You could have had any of these other guys. You could have, what he's saying is you could have taken a shortcut in life. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of widows here, a lot of these ladies, a lot of people in this situation, in the culture of this day, would have given themselves to prostitution in order to be able to sustain them, to sustain themselves. And he's saying, you didn't do that. You didn't take shortcuts. 
You didn't take the easy way out. You've been faithful to your mother-in-law. You've done, you're a person of character. You've, you've not taken the easy way out. You've not taken the shortcut. How many you know it's easy to get tempted to take shortcuts in life, isn't it? Do you ever been on a walking trail and you're on a trail and it'll say, caution, do not get off trail, do not take shortcuts, will cause erosion. You ever, you ever seen a sign like that? Yeah, you'll cause erosion. And that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what can happen. You know, that's what can happen in our soul. If we begin to take shortcuts in our life and we take these shortcuts, there'll be an erosion that will actually happen in our soul. It'll make our, our, our soul just have, have this erosion. In fact, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3 says this, But these things I won't plan right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently. Let me read that again. But these things I, won't, I plan won't happen right away. Have you ever felt that? Have you, have you ever felt that? These things I, I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently. And we'll see that in life. We'll, we'll, we'll have an inkling of what we believe God wants, and we'll have these promises in our heart. And, but yet it can seem like the promises of God can be slow in coming. And as that happens, here the, instruct, the encouragement is don't take a shortcut. Stick with the Lord. Stick with what He wants to do, and you'll see it come about. He says, you could have the pick of any of the young men around you. And now, my dear daughter, don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are. Her reputation preceded her because of the way she had interacted with Naomi. A real prize, he says. And you're right. I am a close relative to you. But then he adds this. There's this curve in the story. There's this plot twist that Naomi did not anticipate. That Ruth did not anticipate. He says, yes. I am a close relative to you, but there is one even closer than I am. Right? Ruth hadn't, they, she didn't know about that. And he, everything could change right here. There's one even closer than I am. So, so stay the rest of the night. And in the morning, and in the morning, if he wants to exercise his customary rights and responsibilities as the closest covenant redeemer, he'll have the chance. I mean, imagine what she started thinking. Really? I might be married to somebody else? I might end up with somebody else that this close relative and the custom of this day would have had the right to not only get the property that we'll talk about in just a moment that Naomi had, get the property, but it would take Ruth on as well? Huge plot twist here. She might end up married to somebody else. She didn't even know this person. What a moment if you're to just really trust the Lord. And in the morning, if he wants to exercise his customary rights or responsibilities as the closest covenant redeemer, he'll have his chance. But if he isn't interested, as God lives, I'll do it. Now go back to sleep until morning. So verse 14, Ruth, Ruth slept at his feet until dawn, but she got up while it was still dark and wouldn't be recognized. Then Boaz said to himself, no one must know that Ruth came to the threshing floor. Right? He, wanted, he wants to protect her honor. He, wants, he doesn't want her actions to be misunderstood. And so Boaz said, bring the shawl you're wearing and spread it out. And so he poured 
uh, six measures. He poured a bunch of barley in it and put it on her shoulders. Then she went back to town because it looked like she had been there getting, getting food. So Boaz said, oh, I already read that. Verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, and how did things go, my dear daughter? And Ruth told her everything that the man had done for her, adding, and he gave me all this barley besides six quarts. He told me, you can't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi said, sit back and relax, my dear daughter, until we find out how things turn out. I wonder if she was saying that to her daughter, if she was saying it to herself, right? Just, okay, let's sit back, let's chill, let's relax. We don't know how things are going to turn out yet. We don't know. Let's just, let's wait and see how this plays out. He's not fooling around. We're gonna, it's going to happen today. We're going to see. He's going to take care of this today. So, we come to chapter 4. All right, chapter 4. So Boaz went straight to the public square. That's where the business dealings were done in that day. He went to the public square. He took his place there. And before long, this closer relative, this other person, came, the one he had, that had been mentioned earlier. He strolled by. And Boaz says, step aside, old friend. Take a seat. So the man sat down, and Boaz then gathered ten of the town elders together. They would be the witnesses. I said, sit, sit down with us here. We've got some business to take care of. And they said, he's like, hey, let's have a cup of coffee, and let's, let's bring in the other people around. I mean, there, this is a, a formal legal meeting right here. And Boaz then said to his relative, the, the piece of property that belonged to our relative Elimelech is being sold by his widow Naomi, who has just returned from the country of Moab. I thought you ought to know about it. Buy it back if you want. You can make it official in the presence of those sitting here and before the town elders. You have first redeemer rights. If you don't want this, tell me so and I'll know where I stand. You're first in line to do this and then I'm next after you. He had the first right of refusal. And he said, okay, I'll buy it. Sounds like it's a good piece of property. It's a good deal. I'll, I'll buy the land. And then watch what Boaz does. You've you got to love this. And Boaz says, well, now, you realize that when you buy the field from Naomi, you get Ruth the Moabite as well, right? It's a package deal. You get, to, you, you get to take care of her, the widow of our dead relative, along with the Redeemer responsibility to have children, or at least try to have children with her, to carry on the family inheritance. So you get the land, that's a good deal, but you also get Ruth. And I'm sure he's thinking, I'm not sure what my wife would think about that. And you got to have kids. And they have access to the inheritance. Their inheritance comes out of your inheritance. He's like, that might make, that might make Christmas awkward, right? That's, I don't know about this, right? I don't, you know, this could, this could take away from, from my family, for what I've done, that, yeah, and then the relative said, you know what, I, I can't do that. I'm going to jeopardize my own family's inheritance. You go ahead and buy it. And you can have my rights. I can't do it. You be the kinsman's redeemer. So let me talk a little bit about what this means to be a kinsman redeemer. These first few parts, I just I went over this real quickly last week. Let me just remind you. For someone to qualify as a kinsman's redeemer, number one, the redeemer must be a near kinsman or relative to the one redeemed. I think I have these on a slide. And number two, the redeemer must be willing to perform the work of redemption. So they must be near, they must be willing, they must be a close relative, they must be willing, they must have the ability to redeem them, they must be free themselves, 
And the Redeemer must pay the price of value or of redemption. See, the redemption costs the Redeemer, and it's, but it's for the benefit of the redeemed. The kinsman's Redeemer would protect, protect an impoverished family. They could repurchase lost property, as even as we're seeing in this story. They could redeem relatives that would be sold as slaves. Because that would happen in times of debt and of great, great famine, great difficulty. And they could provide an heir to male relatives so that the name could go on, which is what is being asked here. And so we look at Boaz and see how Boaz qualifies for this. Boaz was a near kinsman to Naomi and thus Ruth. Boaz was willing to perform the work of redemption when a close relative was not. Even though he wasn't obligated to, he chose to. He, he wanted to do that. He had the ability, he had the financial means to do it, to be this kinsman redeemer. He was a successful businessman. He was a farmer. He was probably a warrior. And when they had gone out and they had conquered other lands, he had spoils that he had brought in. He had servants who respected him. Boaz was free and then was able to be redeemed. His possessions weren't, he wasn't in debt to anybody. He was in a place. I mean, one of the, one of the great things about being out of debt, about being free, is that not only can you take care of your own needs, but you can then be a resource to help others. And that's what was happening here. There had been a great famine, but he was able to make it through that recession, that difficulty was in in a place to help others. He paid the full price of redemption for the land, and then he took on, took on Ruth, brought her on. He was a man of character. He was a man of character. And so we pick up in verse 7. In the old times in Israel, this is how they handed official business. So, so even when this was written, they're saying, now this is how we used to do business. Now, we used to do business is that in regards to property inheritance, a man would take off his shoe and give it to the other person. This is the same as an official seal or a personal signature in, in Israel. So when Boaz's redeemer relative said, go ahead and buy it, he signed the deal by pulling, pulling off his shoe. How many, how many glad we don't do that today, right? Like, we're, we're glad that, yeah. So Boaz then addressed the elders and all the people in the town square that day and said, you're my witnesses today. I have bought from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech and Kilion and Malon, those were the husbands, those were the sons, the husbands of, of Ruth and Ophrah. I'll take, including the responsibility for Ruth the foreigner, the widow of Malon, I'll take her as my wife and keep the name of the deceased alive along with his inheritance. So he's, he's bringing her in, he's going to marry her, but the Lord blesses him, they'll have children, but the, the children will get all of what would have been their father, who or would have been, I guess not their father, but would have been Ruth's husband, her first husband, would get all of that inheritance. Naomi's son would get all of that, would get, would get that name, it would keep that name living on, and would have that. And it's so interesting here because, as we'll get to in just a moment, this is a setup for the Christmas story. And Boaz gets in the Christmas story because of his willingness to take responsibility for somebody else, even when he doesn't have to. And so often, one of the ways we get in on the story of God, the way we get in on what God is doing, is when we're willing to put ourselves out there and we're willing to take responsibility for others, for something, even if we don't have to. 
We're willing to help where there needs to be help. We're willing for God to use us as one who redeems, as one who helps, of one who encourages, of one who reaches out, of one who strengthens, of one who helps. And we see here at Boaz, he gets in the Christmas story because of responsibility that he's willing to take on. And I wonder, is there a responsibility the Lord's asking you to take on? Is there something the Lord's been laying on your heart? Is there something he's asking you to step up or step into of taking some responsibility? That's that's really what ministry, ministry is serving. It's not a formal title. Ministry is serving. Ministry is taking responsibility. Ministry is laying down your life for others. And I wonder who the Lord might be asking you to do that for. So all the people in the town square that day, backing up the elders, said, Yes, we are witnesses. May God make this woman who's coming into your household like Rachel and Leah. So they just speak these blessings over her, the two women who built the family of Israel. May God make you a pillar and famous in Bethlehem, which he will. We're reading about him today. And and in Bethlehem and in the Christmas story, we're reading about it. With the children God gives you from this young woman, may your family rival the family of Perez, the son of Tamar, born to Judah. Uh, Tamar, again, another complicated story in the Bible, but yet part of the lineage of Christ as well. And you just see this dovetailing, this overlapping of the prophetic um, um, a declaration of the Messiah who's to come. And that could be the end of the story. It could be a happily ever after. That could be it. But that's not it. That's not the end of the story. That's not all that has happened through this. Because what happens is Boaz marries Ruth. And as Boaz marries Ruth, they have a son. God blesses him. Verse 13, Boaz marries Ruth. She becomes his wife. Boaz slept with her by God's gracious gift. So maybe she was barren. Maybe she wasn't able to have kids with her first husband. But by God's gracious gift, she conceived and had a son. And we see in the story here, the, the town women said, Naomi, blessed be God. He didn't leave you without family to carry on your own. You remember, Naomi had changed her name to Mara, one who's bitter, one who's forsaken by God. And they're like, God hasn't forsaken you. He's been good to you. May this baby grow up to be famous in Israel, which he is. We're talking about him today. He'll make you young again. He'll take care of you in your old age. And this daughter-in-law whom you brought, who you brought into this in, in he, him into this world loves you so much. Why, she's worth to you more than seven sons. And she takes this baby named Obed, and she holds him in his arms. Just this child of promise, of just speaking. And just, it's, it's just a visible, he's a visible reminder of the faithfulness and the goodness of God, this baby named Obed. And so Boaz and Ruth have Obed. And then, the story goes on. Life goes on like life does. Naomi passes away. Boaz passes away. Ruth passes away. But Obed had a baby named Jesse. Had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a bunch of sons. And one of his sons was David. David. And we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6. And God is doing a new thing, a fresh thing in Israel. And he speaks, he speaks to Samuel. 
And as he goes to Samuel, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 16.1, 1 Samuel 16.1, the Lord says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, who is the current uh, uh, king of, of Israel, who had sinned, who had turned away from God? Since I've rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn, horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. So he's going to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I have chosen as one of his sons to be king. And so Samuel does this. He goes, he, he goes to Bethlehem. He finds the house of Jesse, and he says, God has picked one of your sons to be king. How many know that was a good day in Jesse's house, wasn't it? I mean, that's a good It doesn't even matter which one it is, does it? Like, it doesn't even matter. One of my sons is going to be king. I mean, this is a good day. So he brings his sons up. He lines them up. Samuel starts, starts I mean, he, he thinks it's going to be the oldest one, and, he, and, and the Lord says, no, that's not him. So he begins to evaluate and, and consider every one of his sons from oldest to youngest. And, and the Lord's like, he's not here. That's, 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 this, this, isn't, this isn't the next king. And so he turns to Jesse and says, Jesse, the Lord said that, that your son is going to be king, but, you, but it's none of these. I mean, do you, do you, do you, do you, have, another, do you have another son? And Jesse's like, yeah, but you don't know. He's not king material. Like, no, you you don't you don't you don't you don't no you, you don't you don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, well, just go get him for me. I'm not I'm not going to sit down until you until you go so go go get him for me. So he goes, and he's out in the fields of Bethlehem, probably the same fields that Boaz and Ruth were in, because it's the same family line here. It's the same the property stayed in the family. So he's out here tending the flocks, and he brings them in. He's the one. He's the one. He anoints him as king of Israel. So we have Boaz and Ruth and Obed and Jesse. And we have David. And then one day, prophet Nathan came to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And this was a prophetic statement of the Messiah who had come through the lineage of David, through the lineage of Jesse, through the lineage of Obed, through the lineage of Boaz and Ruth, who were brought into this Christmas story, that this is going to be a kingdom that's going to last forever. And and Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and this is the, the Passion Translation, says, During those days, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. So Rome was huge. It was massive. It was incredibly large. And he needed to know how many people were in his kingdom. He needed to count them. And so Quirinius was a governor of Syria at that time. And Judah would have been a part of that district. And so the destruction was everyone had to travel to his or her hometown. So they had to go to their hometown to be counted to complete the mandatory census. So Joseph and his fiancee Mary left Nazareth which was further up north, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown in Judea to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home, Jesse's ancient home, Obed's ancient home, Ruth and Boaz's ancient home. And they were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of David both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant 
and nearly ready to give birth. So we see here how this family is in line. So we see here this promise of Christmas that comes about that Boaz and Ruth and Obed and Jesse and Jesse, David, and then David came the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And so here we have in this town of Bethlehem, which we've talked about the last two weeks, meant the house of bread comes the bread of life, Jesus himself. And, and with Bethlehem, there's a hymenim, and the hymenim for Bethlehem means fighter. It was a house of fire, of, of a fighter, it was a house of a warrior. And we know David was a warrior. We know he conquered Goliath, and we know that 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 Jesus is a warrior, that he conquered the Goliath of our souls. And so this could have been one of the reasons why they expected Jesus to overthrow Rome. And there was a prophecy in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 that said this. It says, The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will any will Will you fear any harm? On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Speaking prophetically of Jesus who would come as the Messiah, the warrior who would come. And the Lord who is with you, Emmanuel, right? He he who is coming, the mighty warrior to save. He will take great delight in you. In, In his love, you will no longer, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. That in the same fields, these fields of Bethlehem, where the shepherds watched the sheep at night when the angels declared that Jesus had come, this same field was probably the same field of Boaz and the same field of David and now the same fields that the shepherds are, are watching the sheep in. And these sheep that they were raising were, were, were most likely the sheep that were being raised to be the Passover lamb that would be sacrificed at the temple. That's where they were raised. And we know that Jesus is our Passover lamb, that he took, he was the sacrifice for us. And, and because of this, because Jesus came, Jesus is now our kinsman redeemer. That we know that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth, but Jesus is our kinsman's redeemer. That he has come to redeem us, that he has come to save us, that we are in a position where we can't save ourselves, we can't help ourselves, that without Christ, we, we are nothing, we have nothing, that we needed somebody outside of us to come and to save us and to redeem us and to rescue us. And so, just the next few moments, just real quickly, I just want to explain what this means that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, that he is our provision for a poor in spirit. That he alone is our provision, our redeemer. Number one, Jesus is a near kinsman to mankind. He is fully human and fully God. He's described as our brother who redeems us from the power of sin. Jesus came in the flesh to identify with us, to be one of us, to walk how we've walked. And he qualifies as his kinsman redeemer. Hebrews 2.14 says, For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Because Jesus came and was, was, was fully man and fully God. He was close enough. He identified with us to be our kinsman redeemer. Number two, Jesus was willing to perform the work of redemption. He was willing. He was willing. John ten eighteen says, no one can take my life from me. I have laid down my life voluntarily, for I have the right to lay it down, and when I want to, also the power to take it up again, for my Father has given me this command. Jesus voluntarily 
came. He voluntarily died. It it wasn't under obligation. He did it wholeheartedly. Number three, Jesus alone possessed the ability to redeem because he is sinless. 1 Peter 1, 17, 18. You are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. See, that's, that's, that's how it was in, the, in this story of Ruth and Boaz. This was she, they were redeemed with, with gold, with money, with, 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 tan, with tangible things, with, with perishable things. But we have been redeemed with precious blood, with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Jesus paid for us with himself. Number four, Jesus was free because he fulfilled the law. Remember, kinsman redeemer, he himself had to be free before he could redeem. And Jesus was free because he fulfilled the law. Matthew chapter 5 says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. That Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I have never been able to do. And because of that, he's qualified to redeem us. He's qualified to rescue us. Number five, Jesus offered himself as the price of redemption. For For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That Jesus paid for us with himself. And then finally, like Boaz, Jesus took his beloved as his bride. And you and I are the bride of Christ, that we are a part of him. We are in this reunion with him, that he is our kinsman redeemer. And so here you see how the story of Ruth sets up the story of Christmas. And how someone who is so far away was brought into the family of God. No matter how far you are, no matter how much distance there is, the redeeming quality of who Jesus is, can bring you in to the story. And you can find your story in his story because God is working in your life and Jesus is available to you as your redeemer today. Would you bow your head and and close your eyes? As I pray this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your kinsman redeemer, as your covenant redeemer, as your as your Savior, as your King. He is the King of the world. When he was brought before Pilate at the end of his life, and who was, the, the, who was in charge of the, the Roman Empire there in Judah, he said, he asked Jesus, he goes, are you a king? And he says, I'm a king, but I'm not a king of this world. I'm a king, my kingdom's of another world. And if Jesus is not the king of your heart today, let him be. Let him sit on the throne of your life. Remove yourself from the throne of your life. And allow him to be king. So if you're here today and Jesus is not king of your life, or maybe you've walked away from him, you haven't been walking with him, would you pray a prayer? You don't have to say the same prayer I'm going to pray. Use your own words. But pray a prayer like, Jesus, I believe you are king. I believe you are the redeemer. And I ask you to be my redeemer. I ask you to be my king. 
I take myself off the throne of my life and I ask you to be king of my life, to sit on the throne of my life, to rule and reign. And I submit my life and my heart to you. I ask you to forgive me, to remove all of my sin, to cleanse me, to wash me in your righteousness. And I receive your kingdom today. I receive everlasting life today. In Jesus' name. Church, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this episode made a difference in your life. If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com.